0: Zach Dorsey is the CEO of Twitter and Square. Scott O'Neill is the CEO of the Philadelphia 76ers and the New Jersey Devils. Twitter's on an upswing, so are the 76ers. And aside from digging into the performance of both teams, Scott O'Neill and I discuss on this podcast how to build the team behind the scenes, org structures, robust sales team systems, and the importance of having intellectual curiosity, passion, and what he calls millennial magic. Welcome to an all-new episode of Suiting Up Podcast, a show where I dive into the stories of some of today's leading athletes, entrepreneurs, and entertainers, interviewing them to uncover the tools they use and the ways they think about their success, work ethic, and ways they perform at such high levels. And I'm your host, Paul Rabel. Enjoy my conversation with the CEO of HBSE, Scott O'Neill. Here's to sleeping well on a great mattress, and our show's sponsor, Mattress Firm. Everyone should know by now, if you listen to this podcast, how important recovery is through sleep. Everyone should also know how important stretching is before an event, and so does Mattress Firm, except they're stretching your dollar. Your budget stretches further when you're shopping at America's neighborhood mattress store, where it's an easy win, and you play make it, take it with every night's rest. They're the head coaches when it comes to mattress expertise, but know this, they are more than mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a bed. From adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and even bedroom decor, they have you literally and figuratively covered up and ready for the best night of your life. That's real. Go to mattressfirm.com forward slash podcast to see what deals are happening. They're mega and are changing as often as I read these ads. One constant, though, that you can bet on is they offer you a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. You cannot beat it. Score big with a perfect bed. Head to mattressfirm.com forward slash podcast to get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep today, tonight, and tomorrow. We had a tour of of both buildings open in February. If I am an NBA free agent, like this is top of the list. I hope so.
1: Um, you know, we're not sure that the training complex will actually drive free agents here. Really? We, we do know that the training facility we had prior to coming here took them away. Hmm. Um, and we know that this is the best building, you know, facility in the world for training basketball players, which is fantastic. We have a world-class chef, and uh, I don't know if you got a chance to eat over there, but we put it on the- your list of things to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's the, it's the one perk that I thoroughly enjoy. Yeah. Um, But uh, I I think – and and we hear from the players that have come in, J.J. Reddick or Amir Johnson, some of these guys who have traveled around the NBA. They said, you know, this place is second to none. The physical plant is second to none. The chef is second to none. And our medical people, our hands-on people, the actual that are doing the physio are as talented as as anybody they have ever worked with. All that stuff is fantastic. I think if you're a free agent, the the reason you're coming here is because we have two unicorns. You yeah. know, In Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Right. And so if I want, if I don't, if I'm getting a little older and I'm a I'm a, an incredible All Star and I'm a, maybe on at the south side of the mountain, you know it's helpful to have a seven footer who's agile and blocks a few shots in his day. Right. And changes even more. And uh, and and Ben Simmons, they both they just they just attract a handful of people every time I touch the ball. So frees up shots and frees up space. And everybody plays defense. And we have a coach. Brett Brown, who everybody wants to play for, he's a player's coach who holds you accountable. Like, he has the magic touch. So this is a has a, been a, a four-year ride. This is our fifth season since I've been here.
0: Four, first four, a little tough. This is magical and Yeah, fun. And, and you, from the beginning, talked about playing the long game and now CEO of HBSE, and have been the CEO of, of the Sixers and, and the Devils, the Prue Center for a long time. You have experience, but you also talk about the more recent trend over the last decade of professionalizing ownership in sports and why we've seen such a change from a macro and even microeconomic standpoint on the way that sports are being consumed, the way they're being sold, the partnerships that are being created, um, and everyone's kind of antsy and waiting for what the broadcasting deals are going to look like on the renewals in the early 2020s. So talk about your strategy and and your role behind the scenes. Great. Well, first off, let me tell you, when I got to the Philadelphia Eagles in
1: 1994, um, we played at Veterans Stadium, which was a notorious stadium for players. It, like, there were gaps, like six, five, six inches wide gaps, which caused some knee issues, apparently, and was a notorious place to play. I, I did have a, a, uh, a rat fall through the ceiling onto my desk one day. Wonderful place to live and, and work. But nonetheless, um, what was fascinating back then is our, is our sales and marketing team was about, I think we had four people when I got there. Um, here we have about you know 180 say, which so, is the
0: largest in all of pro sports. Right.
1: So, but, but just you know your comparative, and then the way we priced the the, um, the stadium was every seat was the same price. So oh. that that they'd be the equivalent of going to the shore and buying a house and saying you know what I either want the biggest house right on the beach or I want the one down a back alley and then we're going to price them the same. And so it just shows you where from where we were. To where we are now, so that just to set the table, of like, and that was not. I mean, I'm I'm 47, so that was uh, whatever. How many years? 20 some odd years ago, and you think, man, a lot has changed since then. And so you fast forward to here today, and I would say that um, kind of the secret sauce, if you will, here is we have the most talented, incredible executives you could ever. You're truly excluded from that, but the people I get to work with every day are spectacular.
0: And that's part of your strategy, right? You're out there hiring. When you have as
1: little talent and ability as I have, <laughs> the key is you better hire some smart, talented people around you. And we've been pretty successful there. This is a, a not only a management, the management team's outstanding and accomplished and incredible. Chris Heck and Hugh Weber and Laura Price, and Jake Reynolds and Katie O'Reilly. I mean, this, this is these are like incredible names. Um but our younger set, like the, the sales reps, you look around here and you got a dozen people that will end up running major sports operations. And that yeah. just doesn't happen in our business. Yeah. And part of that magic is the vision of what we had. And we keep saying, like, we're going to – this is going to be a big organization. And I, and I oftentimes point to AEG, Anchorage Entertainment Group. You know, they started as the kings as a tenant in the old forum. And now they're a global powerhouse. And mm-hmm. and we have really big eyes and big aspirations. And and fortunately we have an ownership group um, led by our managing partners, Josh Harris and David Blitzer, who are fun and smart and have great values and understand the role of sports and entertainment in changing the world. And they have day jobs. Yeah. And they empower us to say, okay, how big can you dream? We'll give you the resources. We'll make this, we'll make this happen, this incredible training complex happen where we sit today. Let's go make. let's go make it. Let's, let's put our foot on the gas and go have some fun.
0: I want to dig into the sales team that you've built and what you're known for, having taken your first job in sports as, as an entry-level sales associate or sales analyst. Uh, but before we get into that, I, I do want to hear a little bit more about how you're thinking about hiring. So we're in your office. I'm sitting on the other side of the desk. This wasn't planned. We we're going to sit on the couch. We couldn't find an outlet. <laughs> but if I am interviewing... What are you looking for in the type of correspondence that you're having for me to, to help you make a decision on whether or not I'm a fit for your culture?
1: Sure. So typically, um, it depends on the level. Um, yep. If it were a more junior level, I would say I'm looking for um, intellectual curiosity. Hmm. So, so what's the last thing you learned would be a question I would ask. Or tell me about a time where you were struggling with something, you reached out for help, got it and then accomplished uh, the, the task you set out. So I, I would ask um, kind of behavioral-based questions like that. Um, I'm looking for – so intellectual curiosity, passion. Um, and, and by that, I mean, like, how much do you care about everything you do? Like, typically, there are people who are passionate, not just about one thing, but about life. And, like, you can typically read it and see it in their eyes, and I'm looking for that. And I'd say the third thing, we're looking for extraordinary teammates. In, in this day and age, um, nobody wants to go it alone. Um, in fact, you know, um, sadly, like we've encouraged some people to leave here who are who are really good performers, but not great teammates. Mm-hmm. And, and so those are the kind of the three characteristics we're looking for over the course. If it's an executive level talent, I, I'm looking for someone who could or should be running a company. I'm looking for a real intellectual horsepower and some complementary skill sets to what I have.
0: Do you think emotional intelligence is becoming more and more important? With all the automation and technology and and even the the, the workforce you, you talk about being bullish on millennials Gen Zs are going to be just I think as, as intuitive when it comes to uh, branding and marketing maybe less maybe less sales um, which again we'll get to well sales is di- it's gonna yeah. be different
1: like so the whole world is changing so I have uh, my oldest daughter Alexa um, doesn't do great in school you know she doesn't have the patience and discipline to sit and listen to somebody lecture to her for fifty minutes or an hour and uh, she's not not fond of studying now you put her in a social setting and you put her in a room full of CEOs and I'll have half of them say to me, Who was that? I was like that's actually my daughter. That's fascinating. And so you think like this kid, okay, is gonna end up doing whatever she decides to do. So she's gonna either go she spent a month in Africa this summer, which was actually incredible with orphans, but like she's either going to change and save the world or or run a really big company. And you think but her grades wouldn't really reflect that, and so our kind of education system and, and how we currently think of um, IQ and how we're testing mm-hmm. these young kids coming up, who I think will are going to change the world at even a faster rate than than we experienced over the last ten years, is is kind of broken, as I see it, and I think it happens in the workplace as well. And so I, I'm look, I'm a huge um, millennial supporter, like I. I, I am a millennial at heart, not by age, but at heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I always wanted access to everything. I always thought I should have been in the corner office when I was 22 and been an assistant. And um, I was always hardworking and always driven and always ambitious. And that's what I see. Like, I see all the characteristics of everything you'd ever want an
0: employee in these millennials. So I, I'm, 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 big, I'm big better. I'm a buyer. So what do you recommend then – the educational system, um, kind of, how, how should how should it morph? Given that I, I agree, I think the way it's structured. And, and you're an HBS guy, uh, prior to that, Villanova grad. Um, go Cats! There you go. <laughs> oh, I, I did want to give a, a a shout out to the to the young Dematha Stag, who was the number one overall draft pick here. Fultz is a is a heck of a ball player. Yeah. So so back to the educational system. Which I think is, is structured well for the workforce in the 60s, 70s, 80s, maybe 90s. But now everything's different. Can you imagine right now? Like I, I, I talked to my I three daughters,
1: um, 18, 14, 11. And I was asking them, okay, w- should you have a test? What are they going to ask you on? Well, we have to memorize X, Y, and Z. Can you imagine this day and age with the access to information we have having to memorize anything? You just now, don't have to. It's ridiculous. Right. I want, I want that this system to employ like the latest artificial intelligence and have like a progressive learning because we all learn differently too. And so I think that you'll see over the next 20 years, the more progressive institutions literally having customized um, a customized education depending on how fast and how far and how you have most effectively learn. So I think that's what we'll see in the next uh, 20 or so years.
0: Really interesting. So, back, so then to HBSE um, and your management across properties, how are you thinking about your day-to-day? How are you structuring it? Uh, I know you're a guy that, that practices mindfulness and is well-read and, and leans into culture and supports everyone underneath you and in front of you. Um, what about your daily responsibilities? 350 emails are coming through. you got you got these business, massive businesses to run. I mean, how are you doing it, especially in a world where there is a little bit of a stereotype associated with, with uh, CEO, co-CEOs of multiple companies? Take, take Jack Dorsey as an example.
1: Right. So, well, you know... First off, it goes back to the, to the core. First of all, you know, I am learning and growing every day. Yeah. And that's what kind of organization this is. And, and the executives and people here who excel and continue to do, operate at a high level are people that come into office every day and saying, okay, are there five things I can learn? Here are three things I'm not doing very well. So, so that's how I approach every day. And so um, so I do what I can do. But at the end of the day, what I have to focus on is do I have the right structure in place? And do I have the right people in that structure? Um, but where I, the way I spend my time is, I spend my time. I tried to spend my time about a third on culture, talent, people, development, a third on clients, um, current and future, and a third on what I'd call admin. I have another term for it, but I, I can't use it on this podcast. Okay, gotcha. And you talk about the main thing
0: is to keep the main thing the main thing. Main thing is to keep the main thing. Oh, the main I like thing. that quote. And but like, you have you have many main things. Oh yeah, there it is. More, yeah. It's right behind us. Um, you're very good at, at, uh, at framing difficult things and, and, and distilling, maybe challenging things down to something that's comprehensible and easy. And I I suppose that's why you're in the position that you are, um, when you have many main things, how are you then, uh, in a world where maybe it was, it was a word that that you didn't use, but putting out fires or, or dealing with, um, really adversarial, uh, happenings that were unpredictable at the time.
1: I completely and fully understand and embrace my priorities. And I do that at home with my family, church, and at work. So I I understand how I am very prioritized. Like I know what's important, I know what's critical, and I know what's not so much, Um, which I think is is very, very important. In terms of how to handle conflict, problems, disasters – um you know i worked for some of the most amazing people you mentioned a couple of them you know david stern was one of the great commissioners who transformed the nba from kind of a broken down league into a global powerhouse adam silver the current commissioner who i think is the the best commissioner on the planet maybe Mm -hmm. ever given what he's done in such a short time um len komoroski who runs the cavaliers the ceo of the cavaliers i worked for seth berger who runs our innovation lab here who founded and one i don't Mm -hmm. know if you're familiar with and one a sneaker company um, we built a $250 million company. When I met him, he was selling T-shirts out of the back of the trunk of his car. That's how we became friends. And they were in
0: 1,500 stores a <laughs> year later. And all of a sudden, like, it's a massive business. So, you know, you get a chance. I was all to, into the professor. <laughs> like, that was <laughs> my, my guy. was pretty nasty. You know? <laughs> Cadillac was my guy, but nonetheless.
1: <laughs> um, I did play against those guys, too. Yeah, to have a ball bounce off your head is not, uh, not great. Oh, man. It's, it's that was his move. That was a bit of his gimmick. Not great. Yeah. Not great to have happen to you. But uh, but yeah no that was a fun run and but you, you're around all these like world class executives and you just have to listen and learn and so then when crises come up here I can tell you like I get more calm than than amped because I'm a you can probably tell by by the sound of my voice I, I have a lot of intensity I live life on on a pretty intense roller coaster um, but when the 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 more intense and, uh, the crisis the more kind of calm and relaxed I get. Hmm. And, um, and, and the formula is pretty simple, right? You identify the, the situation, you figure out what are the options we have to do, and then you pick a path and go. At the end of the day, you know, in today's day and age, pick a path and go. Like, you... Those are going to be left behind, those that struggle to make a decision, those that agonize for 40 days or sometimes even 40 minutes over pulling the trigger. It's not going to work. Like The world is moving too fast.
0: Especially when you have two difficult decisions to make. There's, there's no clear... Uh, winner or or perhaps both of them are painful decisions you have to pick maybe the least painful and just stick with that deci- decision and be right. confident in it i think so yeah with with regard to a word that i think we're we haven't mentioned but but we're we're referencing is empathy and it's a and it's a skill that needs to be developed and honed regularly uh you need great mentorship uh to help you guide in that direction um you recommend books to to those that that work for you and that you've worked with and probably gifted to those not having anything to do with business. Uh, You take your company on retreats multiple times a year to work on culture and communication. Uh, How important is it that people that work in this organization can showcase empathy regularly? And then two, do you find that practicing meditation is is something that can spur that that growth of that skill?
1: Sure. So... um... Empathy. So we uh, we do uh, monthly leadership development meetings. So Mm -hmm. we take the top, let's say, let's call it hundred people in the organization, and we run them through. I run them through a different leadership exercise. So this past month in November, we did um, an exercise on gratitude, for example. So I don't think there are many organizations in kind of quote-unquote corporate America that are doing exercises on gratitude. But if you, if you think about the core of, of happiness, you know, happiness starts with being thankful and appreciative for those things in your life. And so the exercise here was name put, you had to write down 76 things that you're grateful for. And what the research will tell you, um, and there's plenty of research on, on gratitude, is that you're actually healthier mm-hmm. in mind, body, and soul. You're happier Okay? And you have better relationships if you just show gratitude. And so there are, there are opportunities for us as leaders to drive the practices that help people kind of, that can fulfill and optimize who they want to be as a person um, at work and a person at home. And those two people have to be the same. And that's part of the millennial magic. Is the way the way I see it, because I'm not I'm not sure you can separate them anymore. When I was coming into the workforce, you could separate them. Like there was no real email, mm-hmm. we barely had cell phones, mm-hmm. and so you had separation working. Now everything's together, yep. and so you got to figure out who you want to be as a person, and not just who you want to be at work, and then a different person when you're out at night, or you're out with your friends, or with your spouse, or you're with your girlfriend or boyfriend. This is this is one kind of one by one mind one body one soul and so the gratitude experience is like one exercise that we do over the course of a of a year but I think illustrative of what we're trying to accomplish here.
0: You could probably say and I would agree with all that that it's become more difficult to identify um, work life balance now because of that mix in both which which I think is is really healthy that a company is able to drive camaraderie and community and a sense of family. Um, And a lot of times your peers that you're working with are some of your closest friends. That's a sign of a great org. Uh, My brother and I always say that we chose to be entrepreneurs because we get to choose the people that we want to work with. Um, So then then the work, the traditional way that work-life balance is labeled becomes a little bit more nebulous. I know you've written a piece on it. How do you kind of identify balance in your life? And what do you talk with, with your employees. Right. So, so anyone who wants to be successful in the world or reach a
1: level of success is going to have to work. And so, Mm -hmm. and the younger you are, the harder you're going to have to work. The, the more ambitious you are, the more hours you're going to have to put in. So, and, and I, um, especially when I was younger, I was very ambitious. I'm not so ambitious anymore. Um, but, 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 uh, no, I love what I do. (laughs) No, I, I I have big aspirations, but, but that word ambition, when I was young, I, I thought it was a compliment when you get older, you understand that that life is about trade-offs. That's what life's about. Um, so, so we don't use the word balance here too often because I'm not sure it's reasonable to expect that, or or everyone has a relative version of what balance is. But we, we talk right. about being present. And so, when you're when I'm when I'm in this podcast with you, I'm a hundred percent focused on you and your questions and and this room, okay. And and when you leave and you'll be gone, I won't be thinking about this podcast and the three things I wish I would have said or the three things I made a mistake on, hmm. or still, Laura will remind me of, of those three things. <laughs> but but nonetheless, and when I'm home with my girls and I have them in the gym and, we're, and, and I'm working them out, playing basketball, I'm 100% focused on them. When I'm with my wife and we're out to dinner, I'm 100% focused with her. When she calls me, I will pick up and I'm 100% focused on her. And I think, like... Being present today is a lost art. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, everybody talks about the multitasking millennials. It's a misnomer that you're actually like 40% less efficient as a multitasker, but yet we still yeah. do it. I'm, I'm talking to you. I'm on my phone. I have the TV on the background. The phone rings. I pick it up, and I'm doing all four things. I'm doing all four things poorly. And so I think the more you can find yourself being present in, in the moment, I think the more effective we can all be.
0: That's absolutely Right. When we talk about being present here, and and you know, go take us back through our through our tour. We were walking through the what I I think is like the infamous Scott O'Neill Sales Org, uh, where where you have a a robust uh, setup and and more full time salespeople than any other. Um, uh, ownership group on the planet in sports. It reminds me a lot of walking through a unicorn tech company that has Try. really strong sales uh, initiatives, metrics in place, and everything's visible. Everyone's excited. Uh, sales are hard. Right? Making a making a ticket sale is really hard. Selling a membership to one of our businesses is hard. It takes time. It takes a conversation, multiple conversations in most cases. Uh, relationships that are developed over a long period, um, and, and, and then a lot of, um, I'd say, like a really th- thick skin to be able to, to take a no and learn and continue to be happy. and have a smile. I saw so many smiles out there. If you were to give some high-level uh, suggestions to people that are looking to build out um, sales programs, and even if they have two or three people, they're doing it on their own, or they have 140 people, what, what are some things that are like non negotiable for Scott O'Neill building out sales for all the properties you're ever seen? Sure, it's a great
1: question. Um, one is we have the most incredible leader of that group's name is Jake Reynolds. He's the best developer of talent I've ever met. And so I'd hire him. No, you can't hire him, but I would hire him. <laughs> and I did. Um, and, and he has just this incredible way, and he oozes positive energy and fun. And he's got a great eye for talent, and he invests in his people. He did this exercise the other day, and he was, I walked in on – I oftentimes walk in. It's the old David Stern trick. When you're, walking through, when you're traveling a lot and not around a lot, when you are a lot, people have to know you're here. Mm-hmm. And so I oftentimes just walk in and open up a conference room door and poke my head. Hey, what are we doing in here? And he had all his senior leaders around, and um, he had written each of their names on top of the paper. And, and they each had their own paper. And he said, okay, pass the paper to your right. And I want you to write something positive about the person on top of the paper. So it was almost like you'd get like my third grade daughter. Or she's fifth grade now. But when third grade, her um, teacher did this exercise. She came home with a, with a sheet. It was on her birthday of all these nice things written about her. Now, imagine you're an adult, and you don't get that positive feedback anymore, right? You just grind, grind, work, work, work. You don't get it. Now you have your peers sitting around a table saying, You are smart. You are really funny. Hey, you did me a favor three weeks ago, and I never thanked you, and it really made a lot. You know, when you sacrificed X, Y, and Z and helped me through so-and-so, it changed my day. When I see you, I smile. You're getting this sheet of paper, and you're thinking, like, okay. Like, it's that type of recognition, magic, sense of community, sense of appreciation that Jake brings to sales staff. And that's that's number one. It's like, and that's not an exercise. That's a way of life. Mm -hmm. Two, um, you have to have fun. Like sales is a grind. Now sure. I love it. It's kind of like it's a bit of a drug for me, you know. Um,
0: that's where you. That's where you cut
1: your teeth. Yeah, that's where. That's where I. I made made some hay, but <laughs> um, but these. This was hard for. You know, this year's fun. I mean, we're, you know, this team is going to the moon. But but for the last four years, <clears throat> this team had no prospects of making the playoffs. None. One one year we won ten games, which is one more than the lowest total in history. Over a four-year span, I think it's the second or third lowest span over a four-year span in wins in the history of the NBA. This league was from 1946. So you think about like, how tough it was, and yet the same energy was there. The same smiles were there, and the same results were there. And, um, and so I think talent, culture, talent, culture, talent, culture, talent, culture. Um, and, and I'd say, um, and some fun.
0: Hey, guys, if you're like me, and you really dislike going shopping for clothes but still want to look good, Bombfell becomes an easier way for men like us to get better clothes. You complete a simple questionnaire online and are then matched one-on-one with a dedicated personal stylist. They never charge above retail price. They offer free shipping and returns. It's a convenient home try-on with the ability to preview and edit your stylist picks before your order ships. Bombfell is fully personalized. Every piece has been hand-picked by that personal stylist. They will email you his or her selections, after which 48 hours go by. You can make all changes or even cancel altogether. You're in total control. Then when you receive the clothes, you have seven days to tell Bombfell what you want to keep, sending the rest back. But here's my favorite part of the service. If you keep more, you get more. So in any given shipment, you can keep four or more items. Bombfell will give you 20% off. If you keep three or more items, you get 15% off, and you decide to keep two or more, you get 10% off. So on top of that deal, here's the Suiting Up podcast deal. We negotiated with Bombfell to get $25 off your first purchase. Here we go. To access this, head over to bombfell.com forward slash Rabel. After the pod, of course. That is B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L.com forward slash Rabel for $25 off your order. Bombfell. Open and close. How do you how do you think about metrics specifically? And and we can pull the metrics out of this out of these organizations and just talk about hey if I if I'm looking at a company and I have you know x amount of full time salespeople I want them to hit y amount of calls a day convert on z like I I know you're a big analytics guy right Um so and, we say and it, does it change but go ahead yeah, yeah. inspect what you expect
1: um, so we have a lot we call them KPIs um, yep. key performance um, indicators and and so um, we talk about touch points um I have a good friend Tommy Smith, who works at the nBA he was in in today, and he was saying something like you know i don 't when he goes market to market visiting with the different teams he said you know i don 't i don 't measure results I leave that to you guys. I measure activity because there are situations that are different. You know, a team could be winning or a market could be better. There could be big businesses moving in or big businesses moving out or there could be a recession. Right? He said, what I measure in every market is do you have extraordinary activity because that's something you control. And I think that's a really interesting thing. And so – and you'll see that here. I mean we measure – you know, we measure how many breaths you take per, per minute here right. pretty much. It's, <laughs> it's a pretty – there's some intensity. But, but we can tell you that, you know, three years ago it took 13 touches and six months to make a sale. And, and now we know that those metrics are are much, much better now, and so so we talk about um, calls, follow ups and and now I mean obviously our, our young millennials here are using LinkedIn and they're using FaceTime and they're using yep. Instagram to sell so it's there, there are different metrics that are evolving, but but just a quick story. Um, one of our sales reps Matt Yoder was um, I, I passed him in the in the arena, and I said, "What are you doing?" He's like, "I'm selling a seat and he had FaceTime up because he was showing the seat location." And you think that's smart. You know what yeah. I thought of that, but it makes perfect sense because that's how you want to buy. And I don't like being on the phone. I don't personally like. I don't like being sold. But if you made it really easy for me, great. I don't want a sales meeting. Just give me the pricing. Give me the location. Let me see it. Let me view it. So there's some tools you can do now that I think are, are smarter and better. But um, but I, I think there are a whole bunch of different ways to sell. But I can tell you that if you don't make it fun for the reps in here they will not stay long in fact like our first year reps um they, they pay for themselves really quickly in our business you know it's like a
0: like a six or so week payback so it's a it's a good investment you did know? you mark that at three to one i think i remember reading that a number of years ago you had said something along, i'm gonna botch all the numbers but you're like if you don't if you're not 95 uh stadium to to season ticket holders and a hundred percent renewal you 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 cannot afford to not keep hiring right. full-time yeah, I'm, salespeople I'm, because I'm they'll big. return for I, you. I've
1: been a broken record in this business for 15 years, and I just keep saying, like, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand why you're not hiring. So this doesn't make sense until you're sold out. Right. Because they pay for themselves in nine weeks. So, nine like, weeks. how many wouldn't you hire? Like, it doesn't make any, and that's one-year payback. It doesn't even account for the renewals that will come back the next year. So as long as you can get those reps to pay for themselves – Plus a dollar, plus a penny, whatever your, your metric is, you should keep hiring. Yeah, but it's a hard it's a hard measure for people because they don't, especially in smaller businesses. I also interrupted a in.
0: story, but I think you're probably going to say something, and I'll ask you another question. But it, you know, an example of, of how you have fun when your breaths are being measured. <laughs> right.
1: Oh, they, I mean, we had um, uh, Thursday. We had an all company basketball tournament. Okay. Um, and so you, we had a draft. We had um, medals we had a dj we had um an mc um and then in that building and in this building if you weren't on the court playing you were here packaging packing up 50,000 meals um for those who might get hit with a uh hurricane or a bad um environmental situation and so <clears throat> that's pretty fun you know yeah. in the in terms of day to day like they'll have awards yeah. like ridiculous awards you see you'll see them all over yep <clears throat> but um they have, like, rock, paper, scissors tournaments to see yep. who gets an X. Like, it's almost ridiculous. They have ping-pong tables right. on their, their desks. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty fun environment. There's a, there's a basket that when new people come, they get dunked on when they walk out of the office. They, it's a setup. Like, they literally call them into the office, and then someone comes out of nowhere and dunks on their head. Yeah. And you think <clears> – <throat> so um, they have they – have, like, you know, in baseball, they have walk-off um, music and when yep. you come up to bat. So here, if you make a sale – you know, you hit a song, and you'll see like everybody dancing, and, and it's their specific it's song. Their song. Everybody has their own song. Yeah, there's a gong or a bell, so you ring like a Liberty Bell. Gong was the last place. Um, yeah. A Liberty Bell. <laughs> you go, you ring if there's a sale. Yeah. Um, everybody, we had um, a guy, um, Steve, who just hit a million dollars in sales, which is a big deal in our business. And <clears throat> it's a big deal in any business. Yeah, right. It's unbelievable. Um, and he got a big trophy, million, like a trophy this big, yep. you know, three feet high, and he got a jersey. Um, with uh, with his name on the back, it says um, McMahon. Yeah, I guess his last name, Steve McMahon. McMahon, um, it's a good hooper. I know him, Steve. Yeah, little, but he can shoot it. Um, but um, had a McMahon million on it with number one. Yeah. Um, but and that stuff's fun and, and good. But like the celebration was like literally a mob of people walking around the office. I joined it because I heard the the the, the uh, crazy chaos. Yeah. And they got, got kazoo's, hats to throw throwing confetti at him, and he gives a speech in front of a hundred of his peers. And you think, like, wow. So, look, Steve's a really accomplished guy, and he's going to go on to do great things in his life. And, and this sales job is, is one small step in, a, in a, what would be a really incredible career. That's, that's pretty, pretty amazing. It's cool. like, pretty amazing. And his peers are cheering for him.
0: Right. Like, and, think about that. Like,
1: that doesn't happen in sales.
0: That's what I was going to ask, because sales are hyper-competitive. For every seat, I would think that Tom sells and every seat, that Lisa sells, it's one fewer, two fewer seats that I can sell – but that goes probably back to the culture and supporting each other. Team, 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 team. It's like our basketball team, too, um,
1: and our hockey team. It's like even when we show – you know, we have two – I told two unicorns on this team. And so so if, if you were marketing this team for the short term, right, it goes back to the great mm-hmm. arbitrage in sports as patience. You would say, Joel, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. We don't, though. Mm-hmm. So you you won't see – you'll rarely see them alone unless the creative begs for it. We have one – Actually, we're wrapping buses, and the creative begs for one. But then we have four guys next to them, just one one featured. And so you, you have to decide in your organization, like, what do you want to be? Like, the M and the E in the team is not as important as team to us. Yeah. You know? This is we, 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 we. And that's how we manage. That's how we lead. And those are the kind of people we're trying to recruit. And that, that shouldn't that it shouldn't take away from great individual accomplishment, because that matters too. And you want to be driven to do great things. You just have to do it as a teammate.
0: How hard is it when you do identify that one player who Seth Godin often talks about, whether it be in business or sports, is some of often your highest performer on the sales side or on field or on court, but they are that me person? Not here. I'm. Just, they won't last very long. If you find them, you just say, hey – Revenue is is not a thing for me. I'm looking at people first, behavioral sciences, behavioral metrics, and, like, they're out right away. It's just right not away. sustainable. Because that's really hard, though, if it's, someone's representing. But represented... it's not sustainable.
1: Like, yeah. to have a selfish jerk be your lead horse is not sustainable if you want to create the greatest place in the world to work. So yeah. you have to choose, right? Um, and, and I would argue that there are wonderful people who will get those same results. Okay, mm-hmm. We just have to find them. And we have to train them. We have to develop them. We have to invest in them. We have to hug them. You know and um and so those those folks get ferreted out, and whether they leave or we nudge them out it it depends on the person and the circumstance, but they don't they don't exist here.
0: do you ever ruminate in in like the loss of that person? How did I get that? How did we decide to hire that person?
1: Yes, all the time all the time yeah, it drives me
0: crazy because yeah. you make a mistake on a
1: person, and it's not that the person is a bad person, like you hired a smart person, you hired a talented person, you hopefully hired a, a good teammate, mm-hmm. and for whatever it's worth, like maybe. We're pushing the wrong buttons. Maybe this isn't the right place. Maybe the temperature is too high or too low. Or maybe the boss is just a bad cultural fit. Like, but the behavioral stuff, like if you're either going to be and enhance this team or you're not going to be here, and people understand that.
0: Yeah, you guys were the first. Now I'll give a couple of things off the top of my head that that have, have stuck out with me. You mentioned inheriting this team originally, the Seventy Sixers at least, in twenty thirteen, and not having a a big name coach, not having a big name player, losing record, yet taking season ticket sellers or season ticket holders to roughly from thirty five hundred to almost 15,000. And we talked a little bit about having to, to sell the fun, sell the community, sell the sport to your fans, which you did really well. That's one. Um, two is that you, you then get here and, and, the, and the, the, the personalities that you're bringing on and, and the players and, and the notion of playing the long game, that traditionally was, was almost unconveyable. To, to a sports fan to say, hey, hold on and wait. And you don't call it rebuilding, but you're saying, hey, we're playing the long game, and that's okay, and then people still buy into it. That's something that most, if not all, sports teams have 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 never seen or been a part of or chosen to be a part of that. Is that part of like, – how, how have you been able to create that and you know, have I, some I've sustainability? I've been part of two like, – um, cr- I'm going to say crazy – ridiculous uh,
1: marketing – One was when I was with, I was president of Madison Square Garden and I worked with the Knicks and um, we had Jeremy Lin come out of nowhere, seemingly, right? And then there was Lin Sanity and that came out of nowhere, seemingly, or did it. You know, I, I, I think my marketing team would argue Jeremy Lin had a great run, but I think they would argue that they did a pretty good job of fanning the flames. Like they actually were producing eight distinct Jeremy Lin pieces of content a day at a time you know, now it's content is very, very common, but back then, um, not as common. Right. Um, I think they did an incredible job with communications back then. I think they did an incredible job working with the traditional media and pushing it out and then social media and the underground media and making sure that there was a groundswell. And so I, I don't think that was an accident. You know, it lasted pretty sh- a relatively short amount of time. And we learned a lot of lessons about why it was three weeks and not, uh, three years. Um, but, but pretty interesting. And, and, and here, um, I'd, I'd argue our marketing communications team were extraordinary. Like, I think the Together We Build, we walked out, we said, okay, we're tearing this thing down. Um, we, we are going to be in this for quite some time. Yeah. Um, this is going to be an adventure and a roller coaster for everybody. Let's, and we used to say, this is going to be a roller coaster. Buckle up. Right. Like, we'd actually go out and say it. And our marketing team came up with um, Together We Build – which essentially saying, like, we're going to do this together as a, as a city, as a region. We are coming in this, this party together. We're going to do it together, and we're going to build something really special because we wanted to win a championship. And that's how the messaging started, and and it took off. And then we had we were just literally – I remember Chris Heck, who's our, um, our president of the Sixers, um, he was running um, sales – I think sales and marketing or sales, maybe just sales at the time. And he kept saying, uh, we need something, we need something, we need something. I knew exactly what he was talking about. We need one of the players – or the coach, to say something that we can ride. Mm -hmm. And we got a gift from Tony Roten. I'll Mm -hmm. never forget it. Um, Tony Roten, who's no longer in the league, but uh, a a wonderful young man, uh, lefty, about 6'5", point guard, tough and strong, kind of very Philly in his style of play. And uh, they asked him a question, and he said, um, hey, I work really hard here. You know, they just tell us, trust the process. And we went, ding. Yep. and so, uh, and then you know, fortunately, there's a, a local radio guy here, Spike Eskin, and, and his mad band, Marauded Crew. Um, they they embraced it, and it and it blew up. And so, trust the process. Now is a, is a chant. You can go to any. And we could be we're playing. We could be in Phoenix tomorrow. With Phoenix is here tonight, but we could play in Phoenix tomorrow, and the fan, the Philly fans in Phoenix will be chanting "Trust the Process" yeah. in a way. Arenas. It's pretty cool. I think
0: other teams are trusting the process too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I would say
1: too. Like I, I just like, I always I always have to couch it with, like, the process is, like, one of the most misunderstood things. Um, And I think everybody in this city understands, in Philadelphia, we understand that the process isn't about losing. The process is about winning. Hmm. And the process doesn't end. Like, I read a great article, Jenkins wrote it in SI about Ben Simmons, and he said, I think he said something like, the process is over. I'm like, over? You know, Hmm. this thing is not over. This is about, like, winning and, and repeatedly winning over time. And to do that through smart, disciplined moves and being patient and prudent, but to build an organization that nobody's ever seen before, and I think that that goes not only on the basketball court but also in the office. I mean, that's how we see the world, and uh, and and we can certainly we all trust the process for sure.
0: Yeah, and the process is the present moment too, and and that's a big part of what you're preaching to your marketing team, who who helped you know kind of put uh, fan the flames boosters to fan the flames, fan the flames. Um, they've also been uh, an integral part, as have you, in 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 being the first team to have sponsorship patches uh, on the uniform. Wait, can I tell
1: you about the time I really screwed up? I got a hundred examples of where I screwed up. Yeah, it's kind of we love these. Go so, ahead. Uh, yeah, I have literally could write a book on a thousand. You probably she should, love This Lars doesn't
0: love this. So, so I remember. Um, like we learn so much more from our mistakes, right? Than we ever do from then the I small must, ones. I must
1: be very learned. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So um, I remember um
1: Tim McDermott was our chief marketing officer. He's now running the Philadelphia Union the Soccer Club locally. And um and and we had Michael Carter Williams, rookie of the year. We were coming up on the trade deadline and um and our, our asked our then GM, I was like, Are we good? He's like, Yeah, we're good. So we went out with a with a campaign and, and featured this this guy, Michael Carter Williams, on the cover. it was something like I can't remember what our tagline was, it was something like, you know, we're ready or right. it starts now. It was something just that said, like, here we go, here we yeah. go, here we go. Right. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, we moved them for a, for a first, which ended up being a wonderful pick, which right. actually helped us. Right. But at the time, you know, we got To pull the, everything? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, we were already too late. it was already out there. It was already out there. It was already out there. <laughs> so that was, I, I've had so many of those moments where you're just like, okay, you know, we're in this business, and this is the fun part of this business because it is changing constantly. It's mm-hmm. literally, it's today, something really wonderful can happen, and it will light the, light the board on fire. And then 15 minutes later, it could go the other way. Yeah. And so part of the, the joy and the truth and the focus and the reality checks is, you know, as soon as you think you're really, really smart, you yeah. get a nice little reality check back at you. And that was one of mine.
0: Yeah, it's even attention spans now. We're, we're seeing ads for the first time this past Thanksgiving, even on linear television, move from 30 seconds, 60 seconds down to 6 seconds. I know. It's great. Yeah, and, and we're consuming media uh, primarily through our mobile devices now. And I say we, millennials, Gen Zs, um, the screen size is less important is the way I think about it. You can pitch anything to a larger screen That's if right. you want to watch it there. But, um, but
1: don't you think like, the, the look and feel will evolve as well? Because right now we're producing – television for our second, third, fourth, sometimes primary screen mm-hmm. that's a lot smaller or different. Mm-hmm. And I think over time, you're going to see a shift, I think, to like actual creative that's dedicated and specific to the different screens.
0: Yeah. And, and then I think part of that will be if, if trends continue to move towards mass consumption, potentially in sports, we'll find out in 21 2022, uh, on Facebook or through Google or through Amazon that they'll have more more analytics on the consumer that they can probably serve them a unique set of ads for me watching the game on my tablet than, than what you're watching. But we talk about the actual partnership, bringing that to life with a sponsor – um, the NBA was the first to adopt in traditional American team sports what European soccer was doing for a long time and right. putting the sponsor on a patch. The badge, as we call it now. The badge. Gotcha, <laughs> sorry.
1: <laughs> so, better, isn't it? The, better, better language? I agree. The badge.
0: I agree, the badge, yeah. It feels, uh, feels more patch certifiable. Is like a pumpkin patch. That's right. I like a good pumpkin patch, don't get yeah, me wrong. yeah the badge. I got patches in, in Boy Scouts. Right. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. Not, that's not great either. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we have the badges. Uh, but then you're also probably working a lot behind the scenes with traditional key partners in the NBA and then onboarding new ones and having to bring that whole relationship to life in a different manner, which probably in, in the old NBA was signage in in venue and arena and then 30-second ads on, on the local RSN and then probably do some, some deal mm. with the NBA at the high level, which I don't know. Um, for the national television games, right. but the the partnerships that you're bringing to life, what are you guys doing that's that's different, maybe than other words? How are you thinking about it creatively? Hmm. I think the what we
1: do differently is we come in what we call empty-headed, um, and I think sometimes in this business, a lot of our our sales reps, if you go in there, they're smart, they're young, they're aggressive, they're you know these women and, and men who just have learned a lot and know a lot, and we just have to get them to to forget what they they think they know and go and ask a lot of questions and do their homework. Mm-hmm. And, and amazingly, the, the great CMOs and great CEOs out there, they'll tell you what they want. Hmm. And so we'll get to the audience, and, and we're, we're, we're fortunate. Like, you know, you work for an NBA team or an NHL team or a great eSports franchise. Like, you'll get to see whoever you want. It's different from, from other um, sales opportunities, which I recognize. But in, in this business, we'll get to see who we want to see. And then you better be prepared. You better do your homework, and you better ask the right questions, and they will guide you. And and I think that's one. I think secondly is we have we're fully integrated here. It's a good like I said, it's a real team environment. I don't mean to keep hammering that point, but but not unlike every great team you ever played on, you were the best player on that team. But if you didn't have a supporting class of of good teammates, I bet you didn't do so well. Nope. So so here you come back and now I'm this am this um empty headed salesperson and I've got a notebook full of notes as to what stubhub might need for example and then i meet with the marketing team and the communications team and our creative team and i i meet with the different executives I, and i'm saying like okay w- here's what they want what can we provide and and that's that's where it ha- that's when a deal happens right there and then you know the, the actual x and os in, in getting a deal done is really about that um that synthesis of what we heard and what we can create that I think where the really magic happens. The StubHub deal, which is the, our, our badge deal, with the first badge, which was, was something we were really focused on. We wanted to be first because mm-hmm. we thought that the buzz from being first, not at the time I think we'd won 10 games that year, so the buzz of being first we thought was going to be pretty transformational um, and very consistent with our DNA and who we are and who we want to be, aspire to be. And um, Scott Cutler, who's that the, now he's running eBay North America, but at the, at the time he we was just named uh, president of StubHub, was a neighbor of mine in Connecticut. Um, he was the number two guy at the New York Stock Exchange mm-hmm. before that job, and a, and a dear good friend. And that helps, by the way, relationships. It does. Of course. But you know, I'm I'm um I'm trying to think of this story I had. Um, oh, I, I we did this. There's this guy Jam Elaine um, who runs um, Translux. It's a big uh, scoreboard guy. And uh, this is gonna sound like a humble brag, so stay with me on it, and don't make me look like a clown. <laughs> so no, but this was a really good message for um for relationships. He was um the president of Panasonic. And um, and I was at Madison Square Garden, and we were working on a deal, and we actually had a handshake on a deal that later fell apart. His boss nixed the deal at, at the end of the day, hmm. and um, and he lost his job, not because of that, because of some other things, mm-hmm. and he was really struggling, you know, in, in business and life, and and um, and then he he reemerged as CEO of this of this company, Translux. and uh, and he ended up building us the, the biggest scoreboard in the world, right, in any arena in the world right now, at Prud. At the Prudential Center. Yeah. And, and he came and, and he said, uh, he sent, wrote me this great note. He didn't say it in person. He just wrote me this wonderful note. And um, and he said, uh, you know, I'm not sure if you know why I was so intent on doing this deal. And, um, and it was because, um, you know, when I, when I was spending money and I was president of Panasonic and I was buying boards and spending money all over the world, like everybody took my call. He's like, there's only one guy who took my call when I was down on my luck and that was you. Hmm. And you think about that, like think about relationships and, and think about how easy it is to have a good relationship when a person's on top of the world. And you think about that in, in today's day and age, where people are falling like flies left and right. Um, and, and I would say, um, you know, that's, that's when it's probably time to lean in. And that's just one, one of those time. examples that you just, I felt, I, I was like, it was a proud, like personal proud moment that I haven't shared. Now I'm sharing it publicly. But it was one of those examples of like relationships, 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 not Machiavellian way. Yeah, But like truly relationships for relationship's sake.
0: It takes a, a really, really good gal or guy to have that mindset, especially when you have so many relationships. And, and I will take the, the opposite side, uh, opposite point of view, in that when you are going through something hard, uh, don't have the mindset that um, you know, people should be reaching out to you. Or if this do- person doesn't console you during this time, then they're not your real friend. I just think people that do are able to do that, you with your friend, uh, there. You guys are just well above the bar because the reality is, is like we all have a lot of stuff going on in our lives, sure, good and bad, and we're all going through trials and tribulations, and many times. Uh, we're actually not disclosing that. So, so we, we pigeonhole ourselves by thinking that people should come to the rescue for us when we've never disclosed that like I'm having trouble, for example. So definitely want to commend you on that. And I also want to follow up by asking, for me personally and probably our listeners, when you have such a dense Rolodex, what are, and not to say that it's impersonal to do, but what are some tips that you have to like, reach out regularly? Is it calendar-based? Like How do you maintain that cadence?
1: it's a great question um and i'd love to be better at it i'm 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 definitely i mean i'm notorious for my short texts and short emails i remember i had this one woman uzmaran who's a she worked for me at the nba as a young kid she she got her job because she cold she was at ithaca as a senior and cold called me so many times i'm like just just somebody see this gal yeah she's a big time um, seller now for major league baseball but she, she, one time I, I, I oftentimes have these, what I call level meetings where you take all the assistants and you put them in a room and you meet with them and, and you say, what do you want to talk about? And then you take all the coordinators and say, what do you want to talk about? So I was having a level meeting and she was a coordinator at the time or something like that. And she's like, yeah, I have a question. Like, am I like this? Do I have this little importance to you that you can't write your full name? And I was like, what? Excuse me? Wait, what? She's like, well, you just, you just signed S like You don't even write yes. You write a Y and an S. It's really interesting, you know? And I thought, okay, yeah, you know what? I wouldn't read emotion into email or text, but I totally get it. I'll write my name forever Mm -hmm. to you. And I just thought, you know, it's like, huh. I remember another time um, I started this company and ran into the ground called Hoops TV. Um, And I was like, as I like to say, out of luck, out of work, and out of money.
0: And it, but it was the, it was the best of the right idea for the time. It so was just the, one yeah. of those ideas that were before its time. Oh, uh, It was brilliant, all right. Right. Uh, <laughs> I, I do. I mean, listen. I was a big and one oh, consumer. Right? So you no know hoops TV. No stuff. hoops TV. As a
1: killer brand, we did
0: really fun stuff. It was just too soon. Just ahead of the technology. The yes. just ahead of technology. Today, and one would be crushing it. Yeah, yeah. I know it's still around, but like if, if it was in its if it was in its peak right now. Yeah, cut deals with the right partners across social and such. But anyway, don't but
1: but nonetheless, I'm I'm here and I'm like in a shell. Like I had just like blown through fifteen million dollars of other people's money. I just fired fifty two people who I love. One was was my brother. um, Others were my dear friends, and shut down a company. And like I couldn't function, you know. And so I will tell you, like when I oftentimes reach out is when people are down because I was there, Mm -hmm. and I. I really identify with a text or an email that says, hey, anything." you know, I oftentimes, to m- with my friends, I always write, I usually close out my emails with anything, anytime, meaning like, whatever you need, like, let me know, I'm here, you don't have to talk. We're all good, but if you want to chat, give me a buzz. I'll help you. Let me know if you want to talk to people. Let me know if you want to talk to me. Let me know if you want to skate for lunch. So it's typically when people are kind of on their heels just having been there and experienced that is when I reach out.
0: Oprah Winfrey says the the one takeaway from all of her guests over time, presidents to world-class entertainers to first-time mothers and and first-time fathers, after every interview, they lean in and say, how did I do? And she was like from – President Obama to President Bush to Beyonce. And part of it is just people want to feel heard and, and they want to feel validated. And I think that type of conversation, like, hey, I'm here for you. Anything you need, feel free to reach out, um, is, is something that, that we could all probably do better and more often. Right. As, as far as yourself personally, where have you acquired all of the, the skills that you have over time? intellectually personally could be mentors could be current blocking and tackling today do you take email newsletters in do you listen to podcasts kind of all in where where are you pulling most of what's helping you yeah i'm a bit of an information junkie mm-hmm. so um
1: so that's definitely one listen to listen to several of your podcasts by the way i think you're outstanding i told you before we got on but i figured i'd do it on the air i got
0: i got actually nervous i, guys- I started it cold because of that <laughs> no absolutely outstanding <laughs> thanks really good
1: um but yeah, I listen to podcasts, I read a ton, I read books, I read newsletters, I read magazines, anything I get my hands on, and I'm around a lot of really smart people, and that's really helpful. Um, but I'd say, um, you know, I got to tell you this one story too, I'm around, like I was at this conference in New York, um, it was SAP CEO conference, and there are 70 CEOs in there, and you know, it, it's it, it is lonely in some of these jobs sometimes. So so it's uh, it was it was pretty good, and I, I fortunately had some friends in and around there. Adam Silver was there. Gary Bettman was there. The commission of the NFL or NHL, mm-hmm. and Howie Roseman, who's the GM of the Eagles, who's a good friend, was there. And so a bunch of David Levy from Turner Sports, a bunch of like my friends in the business were there, which is always fun to see them. And President Obama's there. Okay, and all I'm thinking is like, I hope they give us two minutes with this guy each, because that would oh, be yeah. pretty cool. It's President Obama. Amazing. And so sure enough. Um, you know they're like do you want to you know if you want a picture I'm like 100% yep. so we walk we're waiting on this line you know <laughs> and uh, it was like a kind of those funny surreal moments the
0: same way I did it at the uh, right, the, so, the egg roll right. or the day after okay, Easter so it's yeah. the
1: coolest it like, thing right yeah, sure yeah. right right <laughs> Don't put your hand on so, it. <laughs> so, and Bill McDermott, the uh, the CEO of SAP, is just one of those. He he's actually has a great book, but a wonderful CEO, mm-hmm. world-class guy, puts on this incredible thing. Anyway, so I'm online, kind of dilly-dallying by myself. I'm not with anybody I know, so I'm just making small talk. So I walk up, and I've got my little, you know, Philadelphia 76ers, New Jersey Devils um, tag on. And, you know, they come up, and it's all organized. They rip your tag off. They sit here, smile. I walk up, he's like, he like, uh, I said, president it's a pleasure to meet you he he points at me and he says how about ben simmons (laughs) 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 right so i chuckle i'm thinking okay here's the former leader of the free world right i've got two minutes with him and he says how is ben simmons our superstar star australian point guard and so I kind of chuckled, and we talked about Ben Simmons a little bit, and then he says, I'm about to leave. He pulls me back, which I thought was hilarious. I get my photo op, good smile, and he says, oh, and one of our, our, our DeMathis star, he says, how's Fultz's shoulder? And I think, wow, hmm. this is the NBA. This is why what we do gives us an opportunity to make a difference in the world. Now, this just happened to be one kind of really fun encounter, which I told Ben about, and he thought was hilarious. But even more importantly, it's like, can you transfer that – that love and passion of sports to go actually change the world and make it better. And if you can do that, you did your job and make the world. And here, um, I I hope you read this somewhere in your extensive prep. It's like, you come here and you give 76 hours of service. Everyone here. Mm -hmm. We shut down the office once a month and we go serve together. And if you want to go walk elderly people across the street, go do it. You want to mentor kids at the local Camden high school, go do it. You want to be a big for big brothers, big sisters, go do it. You want to coach kids in a basketball league, Go do it. And if you don't want to have something individual, we will rally up this organization and we'll have you go serve. And I will tell you, it's the, for me personally, it's the most impactful, um, rewarding thing that comes out of this organization.
0: I, I think sports are representative of one of three categories that are generationally and gender agnostic. And it also happens to be, compared to the other two, the one that's more acceptable, deemed acceptable, and I put that in air quotes, uh, based on certain culturalisms to have the conversation about sports over a, a meal of food or at the dinner yeah. table versus politics and religion. But community-based, you can have two people who are could be adversaries in, in any other topic that are tailgating together before a game. Uh, it's so powerful. It can be mission-driven with the right leaders in place that are building the, or, the organization from the ground up and then sharing the wealth from the top down. I'm 100% on board with that, and, and we're very humbled to be here uh, you know, just as, as guests here and, and to see in person what you guys have built. A takeaway from that uh, President Obama encounter, and he said something similar to me. I was introduced uh, not about, obviously, the, the basketball, but maybe it's a characteristic of some of the world's best leaders. And uh, he, he was told ahead of time, prep, that I was a lacrosse player. So his, his two daughters uh, played lacrosse at the time. And he had just asked if, if I'd be willing to give them a lesson. But he was saying it in like, kind of like a chuckle. But I was like, afterwards, yes. I was trying to figure out how I could follow <laughs> up. I said, like, this guy's serious. I'd love to do it. But the ability, when when you have that much clout, and you know that even the world leaders are are nervous to say hello to you, to just get everyone to relax, I think that's a big takeaway for me. It's something I'm trying to work on personally is just welcoming people into the conversation and make, make you feel that, like, hey, I'm just I'm just like you. Mm-hmm. real person and I wanna know about you and I care about you and, and there's no differentiation between between the two of us in way of class or or what we do.
1: I'd be interested in your, your perspective on this, but how how do you how do you balance Um, taking a stand on social issues and your brand. It's something that we wrestle with quite a bit, and we're pretty active in terms of taking positions on on pretty intense issues. Mm -hmm. But at times I can tell you that my my lawyers and our our CFO and our execs will say, hey, let's steer clear here.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a challenge and one that we work on regularly. So the, the biggest thing for us is knowing that we're doing our best, we're good people, and we care about people. First and foremost right. we may not agree with uh, certain politics on uh, across either party and way of agenda economic based healthcare whatever it is but I know and I'm confident and we're confident that we can conform to whatever happens at a legislative level in some of those topics. what we're not okay with is some disparity on human rights or human interests or social good and so I'm going to vote along those lines first and foremost always. I like what you do with this organization, as you mentioned, the 76 hours, 82 hours with the devils, and, and, and mandating doing social good in the community because I think it's important and really important for athletes too to not only, um, you know, not necessarily leverage their platform or their voice that they've created, but they have platforms. And so if a cause is, is dear to them and important to them, that it's, that, that it's okay to use that platform to say so. But then make sure you're going out there and supporting, whether that be working with an organization. I wrote a post for the Huffington Post, or wrote an article for the Huffington Post after I after I posted on my Instagram in support of Pride Day last June. I read your post; it was brilliant. Thank Smart. you. Smart. Tons of comments. Rather than respond, I just kind of sat back, and so I wrote the article. But it still wasn't good enough to just write the article. So now we're working with You Can Play and Athletes awesome. Ally, and then contributing too. The challenge for me, and I I try to vocalize this, and I think I'm getting a little bit better at it, is that I also recognize in a lot of these social issues that I am a foreigner in that space. So I'm going to pledge and continue to learn how to speak gracefully on behalf of racial disparity or gender disparity in the workplace, on the field, to uh, sexual orientation uh, disparity, to religious discrimination, and just say, like, listen, I know that... Uh, i 'm a, I'm a white male born into a lower middle class family, but relatively speaking, I drew the lottery and uh, but that but that doesn 't mean that I, that my voice is discounted um, but I do realize that that you know, i haven 't gone through in some cases and and will never the oppression um, that, that others have, but i 'm just here for your support and if I have a platform to to, to say that then i 'm going to continue to do that right that 's exactly what came
1: across in your article, which I thought was
0: brilliantly written. appreciate well that. Appreciate that. And appreciate your time and uh, giving me an opportunity to, to continue to convey, I think, uh, the message that we both share, which is sports is such a powerful vehicle for good, for change, um, for, for entertainment. And uh, congratulations on, on, on your continued success uh, coalescing all of the properties more recently with HBSE um, and sharing those resources and becoming more effective as as you guys are at the forefront of, of what sports ownership is at at a mass level in uh in the in North America and beyond.
1: I appreciate it. Continued success for you and anything, anytime on my
0: end. <laughs> You're the man. Appreciate Take care. that. Very authentic too. You know, I believe you. <laughs> and true. and we gave each other hugs. First time meetings, like I'm a hug guy, so I'm finishing with a hug right here. <laughs> Embrace it. All right. If you enjoyed Scott and my conversation, please be sure to let us know. Let's take it to Twitter. My handle is at Paul Rabel and his is at Scott O'Neill. You can be the first to listen to next week's episode as well as catch up on previous episodes, including my one-on-one conversation with fellow entrepreneurs like Scott Galloway and Gary Vaynerchuk. All of those episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. Also, please hit subscribe when you find us. Lots of gratitude for doing so. There's a shortcut to our show notes at suitinguppodcast.com shout out Neil Savage and Andrew Manning for their hard work behind the scenes and of course a final shout out to our show's sponsors today Mattress Firm and Bombfell and remember the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing have a great week